0: The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, the 1983 Corvette, the whereabouts of Starman, plus part two of our visit with Brandon Hutchinson, Vice President and General Manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway, plus a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim, right now. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, Pasqual, uh, and DJ Bill. Okay, Bill, you got a story for, whoop, whoop, for us. <laughs> Whip, bleh, bleh, bleh. Whip it on us. Well,
1: Bud, we have a trivia question in our database. What was the one year that there was not a new Corvette? Once Corvette started coming out, there was one year where there was no there was, for example, no 1983 Corvette, or so that was believed. There is one in existence. That's in the museum, yeah. In the museum. Yeah. And it's an interesting story about what happened with that Corvette. Um, it was built on June 28, 1982, the one that's in the museum. One of the fourth of 43 pilot assembly cars made to validate production processes and test and train and that kind of thing. Um, and then usually what happens is these vehicles are then crushed since they cannot be sold to Yeah, the they public. have no
0: VIN numbers and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: 42 of those 43 cars were indeed crushed. But uh, one affectionately named RBV098 slipped through. It was found by a plant manager in 1984, parked outside, neglected. He had it cleaned up, put on display. It got an American flag motif paint job. And then uh, they later changed it back to the original solid white. And uh, General Motors loaned RBV 098 for display in 1994 and then eventually just donated it. And so it's a literal automotive unicorn or an artifact of one of Corvette's most sweeping upgrades ever. Wow. And the car never came out because they kept.
0: Well, they held up. One of the biggest problems was all the all the snazzy cars you saw on TV, like Magnum PI mm-hmm, and stuff, mm-hmm. had had uh, a sunroof. Uh,
2: the targa roof. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a
0: it wasn't a t top. It right. was a targa. They had to reinforce the the body of the car, mm-hmm. so they had to raise the the sills. If you've ever had a C four Corvette, you fall in them. You fall and in You them, fall
2: out of and them. And you you climb out. You just about have to have a ladder to climb back up out of
1: them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they originally designed them to use t-tops, yeah. the two-piece removable roof panels split by a central right. bar,
0: like the Transams right. and all that. Couldn't right. do it,
1: and they couldn't. They couldn't do it. The re-engineering of that frame apparently took nearly a year. Mm-hmm. So that's why the '83s became '84s. Right, and they and, still interesting leak. story. <laughs> they still leak. I, oh yeah, if you took no, the if
0: you took the top off and put it back on, I don't care what uh, you did, you never. <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. Have, yeah. it's
2: very frustrating. So
0: you know well, what must be frustrating.
2: What's that, bud?
0: Just traveling around in space with your car. And you know who's still doing that? Captain Kirk? No, Starman.
2: Oh, Tim, tell us
0: about Starman. Well,
2: <laughs> Elon Musk launched his red Tesla Roadster into space six years ago.
0: Was it that long ago? Yeah,
2: in, in 2018. So it's a 2008 Tesla Roadster. And and what they wanted to prove was that the, this uh, large rocket, the Falcon Heavy, could launch heavy payloads. Yeah, 3,000 pounds, I think yes. it was. Yeah. So so they could, when he moves to Mars, he can get his groceries delivered or whatever. <laughs> you know. So, But currently, that car is uh, 65 million miles away from Earth, and it's headed towards us. Uh, the next sighting, though, will be in 2047, I think. It'll be close enough if it's if the Martians haven't stolen the hubcaps off of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, do,
2: they
0: find, do they
1: find any charging stations up there by any chance, or no, no, no? no, no. It's just floating around it's now. Floating I guess it, it's in an
2: orbit, and and they don't know if it's going to get pounded by radiation or hit by a satellite that goes out of orbit, or
0: all uh, the junk we got floating around in space, you right? Know, that a,
2: and and they say that the <laughs> it'll likely crash into either Earth, Venus, or the Sun. Uh, Sun's
0: not a good choice.
2: <laughs> no. Well. If you ask the people from Venus, that's not a good choice either. <laughs> and it's going to burn up before it gets <laughs> yeah. to the,
0: through our atmosphere.
2: So There's we, should, we should be. should a dog. car crashed into the state capitol. Okay,
0: we're doing a car podcast. Yes. We got three guys in the studio. hmm. And neither one of us do a whole lot of worrying about our hair, apparently. No. Aside from is it there and uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> combing it, it once there? in a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but there is a whole industry out there of people that take care of hair mm-hmm. and you know you can learn about taking care of hair and skin and things like that at lanier
2: technical college that is absolutely correct and for guys like us that uh, have faces <laughs> that were made for radio yeah especially. we'll talk
0: we'll talk about another program they have but tell us a little bit about cosmetology things i never thought about you know i, I just go get my hair
2: cut and whoop de doo you know i right, know who knew that there you'll were you're going get your your head polished. yeah exactly it's shaving and polishing and well this the cosmetology program at lanier technical college emphasizes the specialized training in safety sanitation state laws rules regulations i had no idea that they had so much on them chemistry anatomy physiology for skin hair nail diseases and disorders hair treatments and manipulations wow well whatever that is i don't know either but i've i've been I've
0: been to the 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 lady that cuts my hair she's mm-hmm. known her for a long time she's a great friend, but sometimes I'll go there and the and the people have tin foil on their head and she's she's painting different colors and oh really highlighting is what mm-hmm. it's called. Uh, I don't Penfoil? go there, but yeah.
2: foil hats? Is that the- well,
0: no, no, I don't know if they're trying to pick up radio stations or something like that. But it's a career uh-huh. that you can, you know, it's a lifelong career you can take. Oh, sure. End, you know, it's the, you may have to change if you go from state to state. You may have to do something with your licensing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like being a mechanic. You can, right. you can take your skills with you. And right. it's something you can learn in a year or oh, two. Oh, sure. And they have another part of this. Because, I mean, there's ugly people all over Would you the world. Quit? Would you quit? Yes, yeah, so, uh, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, and part of this program, you can, you can do the, the cosmetology part, but you can also become an esthetician. Yeah. Uh, what That's somebody that takes care of skin.
2: Nothing to do with math.
0: No, no, no. So you, you, you go on a cruise, mm-hmm. you go to the spa, mm-hmm. and they offer to give you a facial where they defoliate your skin and get the oils out of your skin and all that kind of uh, stuff. Okay. They don't do any actual procedures. Um, you know like a uh, what do you call that? they don 't touch you things like that no well, they touch you because I mean, they cut no no yeah, they don 't cut we, you like, that 's <laughs> right they don 't cut you, but you could you know, you could wind up working for a plastic surgeon or uh, okay. uh you know a, a dermatologist's office mm-hmm. and uh you know you have. A clinical esthetician, a waxing specialist, a brow specialist. You could do something with your brows, too. Yeah, I'm sure I could. You know, the, the black paint. <laughs> it's just not the same, same thing. But anyway, if you're interested in this type of career, and it is a career, that's what we need to emphasize about mm-hmm. Lanier Technical College. They train you for a career. Right. And uh, you can reach out to them at LanierTechnicalCollege.net and find out more about cosmetology, esthetician, yeah. or... All the other great programs they have, which we will tell you more about in future podcasts. I can't wait to hear. All right, lineartechnicalcollege dot net. Well, Tim, last week we got a chance to talk with uh, Brandon Hutchinson, an executive uh, vice president, general manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway, and we were talking about you know the evolution of, of you know what what racing was, what it is now, what the track was, what it is now, how he got into it, and mm. you know worked to to the level that he's at right now. I wanted to get him back on to to find out what he's thought of the of the uh, evolution of the car, mm. the evolution of the track from what it used to be to what right. it is now, and what he sees in his crystal ball for the future. So that's where that's where we're going to take it up today. Okay.
2: All right. Well, my question, Brandon, is as an event coordinator and uh, NASCAR uh, events holder. Um, how do you, I mean, does, does NASCAR keep up with you? Do they call you up regularly to tell you how things are going to be changing with NASCAR so that you can change the event and the track to kind of, uh, go with the, how their stuff is evolving?
3: That's a great question. Um, I'm saying that throughout this entire podcast, but you guys really do have some, some well prepared questions and, you know, uh, the collaboration between NASCAR, the sanctioning body, and the track promoters is better than it's ever been. I've been in the sport for over 28 years, and I can tell you firsthand, we, we talk more openly with NASCAR now than we have throughout my entire career. So. You know, through those open communications, through our weekly meetings, like I know this week my events team has a meeting with the events team over at NASCAR. They'll talk about everything from our February race weekend to our September race weekend, what the schedule is going to look like, is there going to be qualifying, is there going to be practice. And so NASCAR works real hard to make sure that, that we're in the know as much as we can be with the things that affect our race weekend. But let's not kid ourselves, they've got their hands full, right? So, we may not always know everything well in advance of when it happens, um, but that's not their job. We, we know that we have uh, people on our team that, that can communicate and, and make sure we are as up to date as we possibly can be with all things, not just NASCAR, but with all things that could affect our event weekend and the guest experience.
0: Well having said that you have made changes to the track from the old track to the new track and it was more than repaving you you made it a a short super speedway I guess the best way to put it the the cars you know have gone from uh, I think we're at the Gen 7 car now what what was did the Gen 6 cars ever get a chance to run on a new pavement or did it start with the Gen 7 car
3: the Gen 6 car, that's a great question. I'd have to go back into my my data bank. I'm
0: trying to remember. I was at the race one. And and my data bank's getting rustier with every year. Uh, (laughs) um,
3: I I, I think that the first race here was one of the first races with the Gen 7 car. Um, Regardless, the racing at atlanta motor speedway whether it was the car of tomorrow or the the gen 6 car or the current gen 7 car the racing at atlanta motor speedway has always been special we have always had um, not just one of the oldest tracks on the circuit but we've produced some of the closest track finishes on the circuit i can tell you today with the gen 7 car on the current configuration at Atlanta Motor Speedway, seems to have hit the nail on the proverbial head because the racing here is second to none. The car is as safe as it's ever been and continues to get safer. Um, So the Gen 7 car is definitely a car that uh, produces great racing, and it has really produced great racing on intermediate and super speedway tracks, and we're a little bit of both.
1: Yeah,
0: that that's uh, that's an interesting point. I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. said that you know Atlanta Motor Speedway is the best, uh, the hottest ticket in racing right now because of the new tra- track configuration, the banking, and the pavement. And uh, once the guys got the track figured out, it, it, it the the racing is so tight and so fast um, that I, I know these guys are fearless. But I, I'm I'm thinking, man, you're you're right on the ragged edge every lap, you know, in the Cup cars at, at the track and i i'm not sure the fan understands you know what what that's really like tell us a little bit about you know how how you how you can educate the fan to that because it's different for the drivers they love it but how do you get that across to the fans
3: you just got to watch it yeah. You no, know, yeah. in, in in March of 2022, when we unveiled the track for the first time and we saw cars go out for practice the first time, remember, I've been watching races, well, I've been working here watching races since 1995. I've been coming to races and watching races at Atlanta Motor Speedway since the early 80s, and I can tell you, the the practice that i witnessed in march of 2022 was unlike any other on-track action i've seen at atlanta motor speedway and remember i've seen indy races i've seen irock races um where the cars were prepared identically um and and it just I knew instantly this is going to be something special. It gives me chills right now, just thinking about it, and so again, to answer your questions you, you just have to see it. You have to take a opportun- you have to take the chance to to come to Atlanta Motor Speedway or if you can 't be here live, watch it on t v and I promise you it is we 're still in a mile and a half right, so we 're still that intermediate length, but we 're twenty eight degree banking now, which makes us race like a super speedway so Your fans are well-educated to know that the racing at Talladega and Daytona is different than the racing anywhere else. Well, we have that on a mile-less racetrack. So you want to talk about white-knuckle racing for these drivers? It's unlike anything else they do all year long. And like you said, do we need anybody else to tell us where they would send people other than Dale Earnhardt Jr.? No, there you go. There you go. <laughs> if well, people ask him where to go see a race, he's saying Atlanta Motor Speedway. Well,
0: at the other end of the spectrum now, we've had Larry McReynolds on with us. Uh, he he had recently given a view of uh, the new car, uh, adjustability, uh, creativity of uh, interpretation of the rules, and, uh, you know, how different it is to be a crew chief now than it was when he was a crew chief. And, uh, you know... Penalties and things like that, he said back in in his day, you know a, a lot of crew chiefs be eating out of the trash bin and and you know they may be begging for money because of the penalties and stuff like that how is How has that all changed with the you know the evolution of the sport itself the corporateness, corporate corporatization of the sport how, how does that affect how the fans feel and how you feel perhaps
3: well. Gosh, I don't know how it affects how the fans feel. You know, I, I can't really speak to all the fans because if you polled all the fans, you'd find that some oh, feel yeah. one way yeah, and some yeah, feel yeah. another way, and some mm-hmm. people are in the middle somewhere, and some, some just don't care. They just want to see a good product on the racetrack. They don't care what's going on under the hood. So. There you
2: go. Right. But, you,
3: you know, uh, and and for me, guys, y'all know me well enough by now to know that I'm a I'm a competitor. So the competitor in me, hats off to these crews that are doing everything within their power to find every millisecond
2: mm-hmm. that they
3: can on this racetrack. It, it it it's amazing to me what these teams can do to find speed. So you know the competitor in me says, the athlete in me says, you know let let it. Let it happen. Let it go. You know, what's changed? Probably not a lot. There's a lot of crews trying to look for gray. We call it gray in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Gray uh, portions of the the rule book, and they mm, try to work yeah. within those those limits. Sometimes they're able to pull it off, and sometimes they're not. And so that's been going on forever. The level of creativity goes way back. You know, good old God rest his soul, Smokey Eunuch was probably the oh, yeah. best. Yeah um but that hasn't changed today these crews are still looking for for everything that they can get to make these cars fast and make their car faster than all of the other cars so for me um the the, the competitor that's how i feel now as the promoter i want these cars side by side all day long i want them battling all day long i want them three or four wide if one's on their their roofs sliding across the finish line to get the checkered flag—that's even better, you know. <laughs> um, I want—I want tight, competitive, action-packed racing. So, the way that you, I think, the way that you get that—the the, the best opportunity to have that—is with oversight, right? And NASCAR is the sanctioning body that does a really good job of making sure that the sport is safe first and foremost and when they find there's an area they can do better they typically do Um, and then to make sure that the the sport is competitive and compelling and exciting and and a a product that people want to come back and see again and tell their friends and families about so you know they do a really good job you know They have to get involved from time to time, and if they didn't, it would get out of hand. So I respect them for what they do, and I appreciate everything that they do to put the most competitive product on the racetrack that they possibly can. Because let me tell you guys, it's not easy, and a lot of times it's not a thankful job. Hmm. Oh,
2: sure. So let me ask, Is do you think that technology has made the oversight of the sport more stringent and and giving the teams less wiggle room in that gray area.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. When you're riding down the road, in when we were in high school, riding down the road in 1980, the cop may have had a radar. He may not. He definitely didn't have laser. Uh huh. Right. Right. And so now, now you're riding down the road, and that cop might hit you with. With radar, he might hit you with laser and that technology, you know, if you're really thinking about it, that technology might think, make you think a little bit more before you, you have that lead foot, right? So, um, so I think it's no different in the, in the NASCAR garages. I think that these teams know there's a level of technology that is increasingly stringent and difficult to surpass and so so yeah no doubt i think that it has 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 made it more difficult um it's also created the need to to get smarter um not smarter to 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 do something on your card that you shouldn't but smarter to find those gray areas in the in the in the rule book um that are playing by the rules and giving your team an advantage
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm do you foresee uh in the future here a point where the event over overshadows the race because of the new type of fan we have
3: ah uh. I don't have a crystal ball. I understand. Uh, I know we've referenced my crystal ball a couple times. It's more like the eight ball. ball. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, that's, a, that's, that's another good one. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to say emphatically no. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I can tell you that the race fans of Atlanta Motor Speedway are race fans. They have an affinity for racing. They want to see racing. As a matter of fact, as we prepare for the Ambutter Health 400, one of the things that I've talked to our team about is our fans have an affinity for racing. In that fan zone, do we have show cars? Do we have elements of racing that they can look, touch, and feel before they see the actual racing? So again, I'd like to say emphatically, no. But who knows? The, the, the lifestyle of our younger generations is changing. And I think as we look at F1, um, I don't know of, of anybody that could really argue whether it's close racing at the top or mm-hmm. not. Because yeah. more times than not, it's not. It's about the experience they provide at the racetrack for their fans and so maybe that's a little bit of a crystal ball for us um you know and as we talk about streaming platforms you know um that the the whole streaming with the netflix has given f1 the opportunity to grow and that's created a a younger generation of race fan so who knows long-winded way for me to say i'm gonna go with no
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me bounce off something that that really struck me funny when it when it first came out funny as odd. Ah, the LA Coliseum race. You know, I I, I didn't see I I, I couldn't see, a, you know, NASCAR fa- fans flocking to that and I'm not sure that they cared about NASCAR fans flocking to that and they wanted to introduce it to a whole different audience. Is is, you know, are those types of events the things that that kind of uh, crossbreed the, the the fans, if you will, is um, you know getting them interested in the the racing of the caliber that you have at Atlanta Motor Speedway when they see something at the Coliseum, which is you know there's there's no there's no comparison.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, Steve Phelps, Steve O'Donnell, uh, Ben Kennedy, the the team at at NASCAR is working real hard to take our sport to different markets you know we we keep saying new special and different right i mean look we're we're testing different markets we're testing different types of racetracks whether it's dirt on bristol or or coda or the street race in 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 chicago um we are absolutely trying different things that will hopefully Broaden the fan base whether it's a younger race fan or just more 30 40 50 somethings right and Mm -hmm. I think the Coliseum has been a a great example of of Doing just that and it's not just racing at the Coliseum It's putting your money where your mouth is right. I mean you're paving you're paving a racetrack every year. It's not a racetrack. It's not like the Arizona Cardinals field where they can just roll it out of the stadium. Yeah, they don't right, it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you gotta tear it up. You gotta truck it out. You gotta bring it in. You gotta pave it. You gotta. It, it's, a, it's a massive undertaking in hopes of bringing the product of NASCAR to a, to a whole different market. And whether it's through fans sitting in those stands or fans wanting to see this race at the coliseum that they've heard about you know it's a win-win for us and there's no doubt over the last two years we've seen two very unique very new very special and very different races so i think it's pretty cool and, and hats off to lisa france kennedy and and ben kennedy and again steve phelps and steve o'donnell for really testing the waters because listen guys you've been around this a long time 30 years ago, you say, hey, we're going to L.A. Coliseum. <laughs> yeah, right. I understand. I yeah. <laughs> understand.
0: Okay, you made your point. Uh, what, what do, you, what do you, it, it seems to me – I don't know how you find enough hours in a day. What do, you, what do you do when you're not at the racetrack? Do you do – you, you know, you, you love sports. Do you have some hobbies or is your – you know, is, is, is racing your life like it seems to be for anybody that's in racing?
3: Well, I, listen, I, I'm I'm an evolution too. It seems like my hobbies change from time to time. The, the things that I would tell you that I, I really see as things I want to do more of, I don't do enough of. Fishing w- would be one of them. Um, going to the racetrack is, is quite important to me. It's important to my family. As a matter of fact, my, two of my three sons were at the 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 snowball derby they've been going for 10 years Mm -hmm. you know if there's if there's a a big race somewhere we're we're probably thinking about how we can get to it or or streaming it and watching it if we can't get to it but but no you know I like to spend time with my family I I am a sports guy so I like all things Atlanta I like the Atlanta Falcons the Atlanta Braves uh, the Atlanta Hawks um, Georgia Bulldog fan graduated from Georgia Southern University so big Georgia Southern Eagle fan as well um me and my brother my older brother he also lives in atlanta so um when covid hit we actually bought bicycles like the rest of the world and started riding Mm -hmm. so so we do that from time to time but really for me it's it's spending time with family and making sure that um when i'm not at the racetrack thinking about or working on the racetrack um i'm trying to take some time out and just relax
0: i understand Uh On a national level, how can people find out more about what's going on at Atlanta Motor Speedway and uh, partake?
3: Yeah, absolutely. They can go to atlantamotorspeedway.com. We have a very robust event portfolio. It's not just our NASCAR race weekends. We've got two of those, um, but we've also got Monster Jam. We've got Henry High School graduations. We've got car testing going on, new line automobile introductions going on, movie productions going on all the time. So atlantamotorspeedway.com will get you all the information you would need to know on all of our public-facing events. And we hope that people will come see us. Listen, if you haven't been to Atlanta Motor Speedway, come and see us. If you haven't been to Atlanta Motor Speedway for a NASCAR race since 2022, you owe it to yourself to come see the new Atlanta.
0: Absolutely. Brandon Hutchinson, an executive vice president and general General Manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway, Uh, we just want to thank you for taking the time. We want to have you back on this platform. We we have you on terrestrial radio quite often. And, uh, you know, we just enjoy spending time with you. Brandon, thanks for taking the time to be on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Brandon.
3: Listen, you guys are much more than people that help me promote my races. You guys have become friends. I appreciate the time you give me. And uh, listen, let's talk soon. Come and see me sometime.
0: We're absolutely going to do that. All right, it's no secret to you hot rodders that the LS engine, Chevrolet LS engine, uh, is a, a great engine to put in your hot rod. And I've even seen them put in some other brands of cars. But if you've got a supercharged LS and you've got a Magnuson or a Heartbeat supercharger, Concept One pulley systems can tuck that stuff in for you. And they've got a 10-rib belt system now that offers a separate 10-rib belt that operates only the supercharger. So the rest of the stuff is on an 8-rib system. The supercharger belt has got almost 255 degrees of wrap on the crank pulley. And that way you can crank up the boost on these things, make serious, silly horsepower, and not throw a belt when you're out having fun with it. And that's, that's important if you've got one of these that is really... You know a honking car and a honking setup and uh, you want to go out and have some fun everything comes finished in either clear anodized uh polished machined or black anodized um everything fits like i say it tucks things in where they need to be always mention what you're putting this stuff in to when you uh when you call the guys at concept one if you're building a street rod you got some some uh limitations there if you're putting it in a you know, a Corvette, or you're putting it in a Chevelle, you're putting it in different vehicles. They have done this stuff on different cars, and they know what will clear, what won't clear, and what things you might come, you know, across as you're building your car. And if you run across something that they didn't know about, they want to know about it, and they will address the system and help customize it for your needs. So check them out at Concept One Pulley Systems, C1.com in Cumming, Georgia. Uh, when you give them a call, which you can do at 877. 877- 785 Whoever answers the phone is building the stuff, so there's no mysteries to them. Check them out, c1.com. Okay, Tim, officially this happened last month, but I wanted to bring it up because the Daytona 500 is mm. tomorrow. And NASCAR honored the first female Daytona 500 driver with a Hall of Fame induction uh, this year, and that was Janet Guthrie. Uh, she won a particular award called the Landmark Award. And what is that award, Tim?
2: Well, uh, she won the Landmark Award, which is an award given to people who have made a significant contribution and promoted NASCAR's growth and esteem. And she will join Anne B. France and Norma Dusty Brandel as the third woman to be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame.
0: Well, from 76 to 1980, she had to overcome a lot of challenges in her career. Uh, she confronted snubs by other drivers, officials, and fans, and had difficulty with sponsorship. Uh, but Guthrie rapidly earned respect on the racetrack. Uh, her best moments as a driver include the first female to lead the pack at a NASCAR race and finishing sixth in the Bristol Motor Speedway back in 1977. Guthrie's uh, sixth-place finish is a record that she shares with Danica Patrick, okay. Or the best finish by a woman in any NASCAR race. She said here, I confidently assert that I had been able to continue. I would have won in NASCAR if I'd led a NASCAR race, and I'd run with the leaders on several occasions. I drove enough races to be confident that was going to happen, but without sponsorship, as we learned, uh, as we learn in racing.
2: Oh, yeah. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and it happens to a lot of guys, too, oh, good, yeah. good yeah, drivers, yeah. but because she was really up against it being in a man's sport. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, deep
2: in a man 's sp- sport,
0: especially like in the IndyCar car races and mm-hmm. stuff that was back in an era when uh they weren 't real fancy indie cars you know back in the sixties and they were, they were a handful to drive
2: right right, and, but uh, you know you would have thought that that someone like a a, a large sponsorship coming from a company like Maybelline or yeah. co- another cosmetic company like that but but then those are the days when. Uh, beer companies and cigarette companies were the main sponsors of NASCAR. Well, that's true, too. too. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay. You know,
2: they didn't make a beer for women like a silly millimeter longer something, you know.
0: <laughs> a silly millimeter longer <laughs> beer? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Anyways, oh, boy. So. Do
0: you remember last week we talked about the blue flame engine? Bill, oh, do yeah. Do you remember? There was no blue flame superhero, apparently. That is correct. Well, that led to the development of the small block. We, we sometimes call it the mouse motor. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, everything from a 265 to a 400 small block right. we had back in the day.
2: And do you remember why it was called the mouse motor?
0: No, I don't.
2: Well, it was because uh, when uh, Chrysler had come out with the Hemi and they called that the Elephant, Oh, and, okay. And then when they came out with the small-block Chevy. Elephants and are afraid of? Uh, elephants she- are afraid of mice, and they called that the mouse motor because it was able to beat the Hemi.
0: Huh. And you well, thought you thought you had useless information to mm, dispense.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I learned that on Bud's Garage, I'll oh? have you know. Did you? Do, by doing my homework oh. several years ago.
1: <laughs> All right. And you're well, just now turning it in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the dog ate, the ate, it. Dog ate yeah, it. The dog the ate it. Yeah, the goats <laughs> ate it.
0: Uh, well, where was I going with all this? Uh, hey, oh, I was going to talk about, about the rat.
2: Yeah, the rat motor.
0: The rat was the big block. All right, mm-hmm. it was the big block engines have been a staple of Chevrolet since 1958 with the introduction of the 348 V8. And I uh, I remember working on some Chevy truck engines that were 366. Mm-hmm. and They had a taller deck head based on the uh, on the uh, big block Chevy. Uh, first thing I worked at it at my dealership job, I was at a Ford dealership. We had a, a C60 truck come in a chevy truck mm-hmm. and i had to replace the cylinder heads on it and it was way 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 down, way either. down in there needed a stepladder to get up into the truck uh-huh. you know up and into then the another engine, step ladder and another to step ladder to get down but yeah <laughs> i think they wanted to see if i'd last more than a day or so out in the sun working on that but anyway i, I digress uh when it entered its fourth generation of the big block engines in the 1960 uh you know it got up to uh, 427 by that point in time but the 396 only technically lasted five years. It was replaced by a 402, uh, which was an engine that was so popular that people kept calling it a 396. Okay. And uh, so it was, uh, then we got into the, you know, the, uh, the small gears and the big block kind of went away. But it's, uh, you know, they, and they eventually put them into the Camaro, the Nova, and the Monte Carlo.
2: I actually had a 1966 Chevy Caprice that I bought from the original owner for 600 bucks. That had a 396, in it, it was an awesome, awesome running car. Yeah. But the windshield dripped on my girlfriend when it rained. She didn't like it, so I got rid of her too.
0: I kept the car, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just, I'm just making sure. All right, let's uh, let's uh let's let's go to some news and rumors from Chevrolet. First of all, Tim, okay. I'll let you start out with the. Uh, the rumor of the of the week or the month or whatever on the 8.3 Duramax diesel. Oh yeah,
2: they, you know this is this is very interesting that they're talking about. There's a rumor going around that that, that they want to make an 8.3 Duramax diesel for the Chevy 3500 uh, because right now. They are rated to tow 36,000 pounds, but the Ford F450 in single-cab, two-wheel drive configuration can can hold 40,000. So they're they're hoping that this... I mean, it just brings up so many questions, though. Will the rest of the driveline be able to handle the torque and... Oh, uh, I think so
0: on a 3500. Yeah, that's a pretty big driveline. Mm-hmm. And
2: and the transmission, will that 10-speed transmission work... And, you know, you get into this, what, 40,000 pounds? That's half a tractor trailer. That's, yeah, right. And I guess there is a use for that. But, you know, I, being an old guy, I start thinking about it. Well, if you've got, you
0: got a dozer and an excavator or something like that and you're, you know, you're working in that business, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you could use something like that.
2: Well, Yeah. I mean, at what point is it, does it make sense to go to a, a class tractor. 6 or class 7 vehicle well, that's got a bigger frame and bigger brakes and bigger tires? But, but you see these trucks now, the F450s and the, and the Duramax diesels that all have big tires and big brakes they, as well. They, so. they, can, they can handle it.
0: Yeah. What's interesting is that the larger displacement may produce uh, fewer NOx emissions. So, um, you know, it's a big engine. Mm-hmm. But it may actually produce less emissions because they lower the compression ratio and stuff on it. Uh-huh. So we'll find out okay, as time will. goes by. I'll tell you what is interesting: is they're talking about bringing the Chevy Volt back out in 2026 yeah. as a plug-in hybrid. And I, I, you know, we don't have the microphones in the studio, so I can hold the picture up and you can see them. Uh, but just uh, Google 2026 Chevrolet Volt. Uh, that is an awesome-looking ride.
2: Oh, yeah. If it would look like that, that would be awesome. Well, yeah, this
0: is computer-generated, but that's not far from what it looks like now. So Right. You know, I, I think that's going to be pretty cool. Meanwhile, here in the real world, we have the Chevrolet Trax and the Re- E-Ray Corvette. Uh, now, the Trax are coming in daily at uh, Hardy Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and they do have an E-Ray Corvette on order for somebody. Uh, they're both on the car and driver's 10 best lists. So I called Mike Corman. I'm talking to him. And I said, wasn't the tracks kind of an eco-box type thing when it mm-hmm. first came out? Yeah. He said, not anymore. Wow. And then I started talking. Uh, you know, I, I went online to look at what they look like. Man, they have changed them. And for 2025, they're going to make that thing re- look really, really nice. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to fill a spot for the uh, the two-row uh, SUVs, Compact. Mm-hmm. And it starts in the mid-20s. Wow. That's amazing. That is For anything you can buy now in the mid-20s that, you know, is as nice-looking as his tracks. And, you know, he says says between them, the Silverado and the Equinox, he says they got, you know, a great lineup. Uh, The Traverse, the Traverse on up, the Traverse, the Tahoe, the Suburban, they're all Mm three-row vehicles. But they got a good selection of them. Up there right now at the dealership, okay, and if they 've got a good selection of new stuff, you know what else they 've got a good selection of yeah trade ins yeah they' got you know they got a uh, they got trade in stuff that's a- across the board pickup mm-hmm. trucks cars um, you know great service department, medium duty truck department we're talking about this big thirty five hundred coming in you know you got a you' got a big truck like that that's got the diesel and stuff in it, you know they can take care of it for you uh even if you 've got something bigger you right. know and they can they can take care of it in their service department so good folks to know good good place to shop for sure now next month i'm going to tell you about a new crate engine that's coming out an ls engine that's coming out for the ls ls guys Uh oh that are you know putting them in uh everything everything yeah and it's i'm sure it's going to be a plug and play system Mm -hmm. and uh it's, it's going to be awesome. I didn't, I, I didn't want to tell you everything about it this week. I,
2: I, I saw a blurb just the other night about uh, the new, a new Silverado that they now have a four-cylinder engine in that produces within 50 horsepower of the 5.3 LS motor. And it also produces almost the same amount of torque, but it produces the full torque at 1,500 RPMs. So, like, when you're pulling the boat out of the water, you know, and you really need that torque at at low speed, and it gets incredible mileage. So, you know, just... That's
0: awesome that they can get that torque at that low RPM. Right. Because, like you say, if you're pulling a boat out of the water, you you don't need, you know, you need the torque. You don't need the speed. You need the torque. But if they got it at 1,500
2: 1500, RPM... Where where the LS, I think you get the the peak torque of... uh,
0: Oh, it's up higher, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's up like close to 3,500 RPM. Correct. So you'd have to be really spinning the wheels to get that boat out of the water then. You know what?
0: I'm going to do my homework on that. That okay. sounds very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'll check with Mike about it and find okay. out hey, you got you got some of these coming down the line. Yeah. Because, man, that's a lot of torque for a little engine. Right, is right. It, What is it, twin turbo, four-cylinder?
2: Uh, you know what? They they didn't go into detail oh, on it. Oh, oh, oh. they didn't.
0: Right. So that, that means that you did read an article
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going
0: to assign you the homework. You good with that?
2: I'm good with that, Bud. That's what I
0: love. So, a friend of mine calls out and he <laughs> wants me to look at his classic muscle car that had just come out of 40 years of storage. And let me tell you, 40 years of storage can be rough on a car, especially when it's done in different states and different conditions. And he had a 68 Firebird that needed a lot of help. So, we spent some time on the computer looking over the year one um, catalog, the elect- electronic catalog available to bring his special car back to its former glory they had everything from assembly manuals to trim pieces carpet interior floor pans etc and they had it all at affordable prices and we even had some discounts available on the large orders and they helped him plan the sequence of the build so we wouldn't you know so he wouldn't be falling over piles of parts as he proceeded they can do the same for you on your rebuild check out the great parts and experience that the folks at year one have they are the classic muscle car restoration experts check them out at year one dot com okay tim so it's time for some thank yous oh thank you thank you thank you you know who i want to thank uh, uh brandon hutchinson from atlanta motor speedway vice president and general manager um uh, you know part two here was uh, its second half of his uh visit with us and, and they got a big race coming up uh, in a couple of weeks so mm-hmm. check out Atlanta Motor Speedway Jacobs Media of course with the studio and the sound and, and responsible for the sound is Mr. DJ Bill tell us about DJ and Bill. Wait, I have to be responsible for this sound? Oh, yeah. You didn't <laughs> oh, know that? Uh, that was the mouse type in the contract. In the, uh, to myself, in read fine print. Yeah, yeah. read yeah. fine print. print. <laughs> well, <laughs> <da-da-da-da>.
1: <laughs> well, Bud, uh, Trivia is my name because I write, produce trivia games for this entire uh, beautiful country of ours through DJ Trivia. Log on to DJTrivia.com. You can find one of our family-friendly and free games at a location near you, and if you're located in the North Georgia listening area, you just might find a familiar voice hosting some of those very games. So we hope to see you soon at uh, one of our events.
0: Huh. We'll open up an autograph session for you. Oh, I'll yeah. So you should... to see
1: you in Dawsonville, bud. You, I, you will one of these days. Yeah. Well, i got to go
0: up there and get the, the bear now from Chase Elliott. There you so go. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. figure out a time to get we'll, to Dawsonville. We'll get
1: a seat for the bear. That'll be yeah. a big that, conversation. That, that would be oh, cool. Yeah. That would be that, fun.
0: That would be good fun. All right. Who else have we got to thank, Tim? We got everybody. I, I, year one.
1: Year one.
2: Oh yeah, the muscle car experts. Linear year
0: Technical College. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, learn a career. Yes. Not just a job, a mm-hmm. career. Don't become indoctrinated. Learn something useful. And concept one, uh, billet pulley systems, best on the planet.
2: Absolutely.
0: So if uh, Starman needs a pulley system when he. Gets, gets back to the planet, we can, we can turn them on in Concept One. Right. Meanwhile, if you want to catch the uh, terrestrial production of Bud's Garage, you can do that on WDUN, AM515, FM102.9. And we can also have that in podcast form at all the various podcast sites, like the one you're listening to right now. Okay. All right. Remember to keep between the digits, shiny side, side up. We'll see you next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Have a great week.
2: Okay, you too.